0: my body's being lifted, like the center of my stomach's being lifted up, and then my my sleeping bag was being unzipped all at the same time. I was like trying to scream out, help me, but nobody nobody came to my aid. Good morning, good afternoon,
1: good evening, epic. Humans of the world, and welcome back to Shared Ingredients. I'm your host, Andrew Pelosi, and on this episode, I meet with the iconic Kasim G. Kasim is a good friend of mine who I met in the early days of Maker Studios. He was one of the pioneers and first top channels on YouTube, making comedic, on-the-street content crazy interview shows. He's done so many wild things on YouTube over the years that have gone completely bananas. He was the king of Comic-Con. You could not go to Comic-Con without seeing this guy take over the best, most awkward form of interviews. He's an overall hilarious guy, good guy, who's now a host on the relaunched G4 TV network. He's also a co-host with Jamie and Rob on Pajama Pants podcast, which is fantastic. Kassib is one of those all-time great multifaceted, talented guys who has so many interests and he's really good at a lot of them. He's a good tennis player. He has a crazy off-roading truck. All these things you may not know about him that are part of his story. I don't even think we really get into them in this podcast. All I can say is he's a super dynamic human doing a lot of amazing things, full of good laughs, insight, and inspiration. Let's get into it. Yay! I'm joined today by my good friend, Kasim G., who is a complete pioneer, entrepreneur, renaissance man. He's built businesses. He's made a lot of people smile. He's made a lot of people laugh. Most importantly, he's just a good human. So I'm glad to be talking to him. And you can see me in one of my favorite t-shirts, which is hard to hard to visualize, but it's Kasim as a young man, as a handsome young man. But yeah. the shirt has a double effect where the t-shirt he's wearing as a child has been replicated by the fine folks at, at knock steady or maker shop or whatever it was branded as. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
0: My Pass- one piece of merch. Thank you. That was You're such welcome. a lovely intro. Thanks, Andrew. Um, yeah, that was my one piece of merch that I ever sold. And I remember, um, you know, they they were trying to get me to do merch for so long. And I was like, well, okay. I had that idea for that shirt. And and I was like, okay, yeah, this is how I want it to be. I want it to be a pocket tee. I want it to have this graphic on it and I want it to like feel soft. And um, they were like, yeah, but everything you want, this is going to be like a $30 shirt and we don't do $30 shirts. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then I don't really want to do the shirt if it's not (laughs) what I feel like I would want to sell. And there was this whole this whole push pull thing. And I was like, I don't even want to sell it, but I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I pushed back because everyone that I gave those shirts to still have them because they're super soft. And, uh, it's just like a, it's a, it's a weird shirt, especially when you walk around with like a little boy on your pocket tee. I'm like, I've had people tell me there's some awkward interactions, but, um, I'm glad I could, I'm glad I could make it overall. I love it. Um, yeah. And I'm wearing, look, so before the pod started, I had this shirt on, and then i, I got in my head but I'm like, he's not. Don't wear the dude's brand on his own pot. He's no one wants to see that. And then you, I—I caught you on the Zoom, and then you were wearing that, and then I had to go quickly change. But we almost had a, a super serendipitous moment here.
1: I appreciate it. I, I still think it, it matters. We can edit out these things if needed, so it's gonna look—it's <laughs> gonna look organic. Um, so I want to—I want to take it way back. Like my whole philosophy in life is that you know, like you're just a dynamic human doing a lot of interesting things. But I feel like a lot of people will sort of look at someone's career and what they got really known for in a short period of time and kind of classify them. And so, for example, people will say like, OG YouTuber. And I never used the word YouTuber because I felt like people on the platform in the early days were comedians, were personalities, were were you know, just talented individuals who amass an audience. What's your opinion on that term? Or how would you define that chapter in your life when you started to get known for your craft on YouTube?
0: Yeah. um, You know, that that question, I feel like changes every year. You know, I, I think when it when it first, like in the early 2010s, I railed against it i was like embarrassed by it you know cuz I, when i started i i tried to do i was like doing stand up and i i wanted to be like you know i wanted to take that long road through comedy which was just getting up on stage and doing um sets and like hoping one day somebody you know you catch somebody's eye and then you end up on a thing and um and lucky for me i kind of like Fell on the whole YouTube thing, but because of that, you know, I always initially felt a little embarrassed by the, by that term YouTuber and because it was a kind of a catch-all for anyone online. And, and I didn't really feel like I should be categorized the same way somebody who, you know, like eats cereal out of a bathtub or like does pranks, you know, like I don't like just, not that any of that stuff is is bad or not as good or I'm better than it's just different and I felt like it was um didn't it didn't really uh, describe what I did um, now you know that part is it's kind of in the rear view and like there's a, a sen- sentimentality that I have towards those early days and um, I don't really have a problem with people that like found me that way. I'm, I'm super thankful that that's how, uh, I was exposed to a lot of people was through YouTube. And, um, now the term has a little bit more legitimacy, you know, uh, minus like a few, like kind of, uh, bad actors in the, in the landscape. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, and especially since all those standups and all, you know, everyone that, I um put on a pedestal in the early days. They all eventually came to the site, you know, to YouTube anyways, and they all do the same thing, you know. And like now I know like a ton of stand-ups that'll do stand-up and then they'll come home and then they'll stream on Twitch. And like there's there's just no sort of feeling behind it anymore, like like it was, you know, or in the early days, I would get friends who are like, their comics were like, What do you do? What are you doing on that site? Like get off there you know that's a place for cats or you know it's uh it's it's uh it's a place for music parody and you know it just i i spent a lot of time i think in my head about it when i should have just been you know grateful for the opportunity and um, happy to to not be doing stand-up in a room full of like you know or not full you know with like eight people in it so uh yeah, every, every year it changes. Cool. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. Um, I have a lot of questions
1: on, on the origin story that we'll get into, but going back, like take people who don't know you to somewhat of the beginning.
0: Sure. Um, I was born in Jordan and I lived there for about six months. Um, until my dad, so my dad's, my dad was in hotel management, you know, hospitality. So his job kind of took us all over and it started in Saudi Arabia. We lived in Saudi Arabia, um, for the first four years of my life. And, uh, then we moved. So he got a visa, um, which really changed our whole life. You know, he, he was able to kind of move his family, um, from the middle East to the United States. And, um, because he was useful and he was an asset and, uh, he was valued in the company. And so we came and lived in Florida, specifically Kissimmee. And if you, you know, if you're from Florida, that's not somewhere you want to live, you know? And, uh, but it was all we knew and I was coming from Saudi Arabia. So like, it's all good, you know? Um, and then, so we lived, we lived there from 87 to 93. And then I think right after hurricane Andrew happened, uh, we moved to Southern California on another, uh, promotion that he got. And that summer was like the Northridge earthquake. So we came from like hurricane Andrew, boom, right to the Northridge earthquake. And, uh, you know, my mom for a while thought we were just bad luck. And, uh, yeah, I stayed. So I turned 18 and I was working, uh, I was working at Best Buy. A lot of people know that. Um, it's a big part of my story. And uh, I, I moved out and, and started, you know, renting an apartment with some folks I lived with. And they ended up moving, they moved to Orange County, and then Hawaii, and they've, they were in Hawaii up until two years ago. Um, and they took my brother with them, and then he ended up coming back later on. But I stayed in Southern California, um, and moved from the suburbs to the West side of LA and basically that was just to like audition and, and, you know, try and take whatever it was I was doing a little more seriously. And, um, cause driving an hour outside the city to and from, you know, a few times a week is, you know, I can't believe it. I mean, I, I guess I really was into the idea of it, but like I couldn't imagine doing that now, but you know, um, I'm glad it all worked out. But yeah, so I, I ended up essentially just moving to Santa Monica, renting a place, and then eventually moving to Venice. And, um, you know, I got into YouTube. It was really weird how it happened. I was, I hired a guy at Best Buy when I worked out there, and he, in the interview told me that, and his name is Corey Williams and some people from early YouTube know who he is, is, um, SMP films. And so he, in the interview was telling me how he had this viral cat video that he made and had all these millions of views and he was making like however much money, like a month just from this one video. And, you know, and, and that's kind of like, you know, when you're in terms that I understood, it was like residuals. He was making money on a monthly basis on this one thing he did. And like, that's like, that, that to me is the dream. is like that mailbox money, you know, that passive income that you just um, tap into it. And, and I got, I was fascinated and, and I, I had a YouTube account at the time, but I really didn't know it was a place for anything other than, you know, cat stuff or like I, at the time I was putting up like my very, um, young and bad stand-up stuff and uh he showed me like hey no there's like a, there's like a whole community of people here uh they you know you can interact with them They're, it's different than like tv or you know uh film in in the way that because your audience can actually like leave comments and you can reply back and um so he would put me in his videos and those would get like 100,000 views in like a day or two. And I was doing stand-up part-time and like going to do stand-up for like a half-filled room and then like going, you know, kind of like driving home dejected and going home and like looking at the YouTube clip you were in that had like a 200,000 views was like, oh, like I, I I, mean, I'm not a super smart guy, but I could tell that there was one place where the energy sh- might could be focused, on, you know, and, and, um, things might be, uh, happening in that one area. And so I did, I kind of went a little, uh, hard in the paint with YouTube. And I started meeting people and, um, toying around with like videos and it's essentially all any, that's what every everyone, my age, then I was like in my early twenties, that's what people do now. They all have like, I, and back then there were no iPhones, but like, um, it had like just come out, but nobody was like really editing videos on, you know, and making now everyone does it on their phone and uploads it. But back then it was, uh, uh, I was real lucky to be shown that there was this sort of thing that you could do. And if I did it long enough, it would pay off. And, um, so I just kept toying around with formats and then I met people and I, one day on a whim did this sort of man on the street in Venice and in Santa Monica um, for um, Philip DeFranco, who has a new show. And I was like, I called Phil one day. I was like, hey, if I do a, if you tell me one of the news topics that you are going to talk about in today's or tomorrow's show, I can go do like a quick man on the street thing. And then you could insert almost like a field piece that you throw to. And so he was like, yeah, okay, we're going to be talking about it was Miss California had like, she had like some like saucy, like pics that were, you know, leaked online or something. And then, um, and she had this wholesome image or whatever, you know, but I just went and asked people what their thoughts were. At the end of the day, I, I like borrowed a camera, went to Radio Shack, grabbed a wired mic, didn't know how to white balance a camera. Um, That video was completely blown out. You honestly couldn't see more than me and the person, and everything behind it was like just like crushing white. And uh, but I came home and I edited like a 30 45 second clip of it. And he was like, Yeah, you don't know how to work a camera, but yeah, everything else is great. And then he put it in the show, and then like overnight, I doubled it, the amount of subscribers I had. You know, I had like I had maybe like 7,000, 8,000 subscribers. Um, before that day. And the next day I had like 16, you know, and um, it, it was a pretty big moment. And, And my YouTube career is just kind of filled with those moments. You know, you kind of like work hard and, and, and doing a podcast. Now I noticed the same thing. It's like, you just, you're kind of plateaued and then you just keep doing it and then you'll get the right guest or a clip will catch on and then you'll shoot up and then you'll get, views and listeners and then you'll level off again and and that's essentially it's it's, it rewards consistency you know um which overall in my career I wasn't that great at to be honest but yeah so I just took advantage of that and just kept doing more man on the street and eventually branched out into a bunch of other types of videos I did a lot of sketch and I was a big fan of sketch comedy and like the people I thought were real funny I tried to like work with and um yeah. So I just did a lot of, I did a lot of that on YouTube for a good, you know, five, six years, um, until I started to like really feel it and then kind of had to pull away. But I mean, that's the, that's the long winded short story. Yeah.
1: No, thanks for yeah. that. It's, it's a, it's a rad story. I mean, I, obviously you left out the part about being,
0: oh. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, 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 What? yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, amongst all that we mean um friends I had met along the way we we started up a, a production company um it was essentially just a space that we uh uh had to like had a had a green screen had cameras it had um props and and, and wardrobe and like it was a place so we could all share because we were all kind of like leaning on each other because some of us could do other things better and like we needed this and some of us could shoot or and uh, some of us could edit and some of us could write and um we all kind of this small group of us decided to um share a space in venice that was essentially like a mini studio production office and um you know, we all kind of joined forces on this one YouTube channel. And then that YouTube channel like rose really fast. I think at the time it was like the fastest growing YouTube channel. And, um, essentially that was like the seed of what they now call multi-channel networks. Um, but we were kind of like, we, we kind of did it not on purpose and not for the reason that it ended up existing, but, um, we essentially just wanted a place where we could be creative together in a space. And, you know, eventually um, it created uh, some sort of buzz and, and investors came on. And then we had, um, you know, we had an ad sales department and that's how I met you. And, and uh, we had, the the company just kept growing and growing and growing and it, and it eventually sold. Um, and if I say like, that was the purpose of it, I would be lying. You know, it, it all kind of just happened and like, it, it just like grew too big for uh, for essentially what we, you know, started it to be. And, um, but it, it afforded us, like it was great because we, we got paid out on our shares and, and it allowed us to kind of live a, a, a more comfortable existence. Um, and it was important to me because it's exhausting making videos online, especially on YouTube. And you're constantly like in front of everyone that can just comment on you, comment on like what they think of you. And, you know, and if you're like, and I was like an undercooked 25 year old and like emotionally not there. And like that stuff, that stuff's super brutal. Um, and some people were cut out for it and. You know, honestly, I I wasn't, and um, so I really had to like scale back and um, ask myself kind of what it was that I was enjoying about it, or, or um, you know, was this something I really wanted to do? And and uh, yeah, it, it was it was great, but yeah, the company ended up you know being sold, and it was um it, you know made all kinds of news, and it was a cool moment you know? Um, and yeah, it was, it allowed us, you know, the best part, it was meeting guys like you, like there's, there's people that I met along the way that I still keep in contact with. And they're like high quality, like real solid people that I don't think I would have necessarily come across. And that's been kind of the, the biggest gift, you know, and, and still people that I can call on today for help, you know, like you're helping me out. Um, with some merch stuff that I had questions about. And like, you know, there's there's just uh, so many talented folks that were working there in this short window of time. And um, if you ask most people, there was like, yeah, you know, some people have different feelings about it. It was like, oh, so it got so corporate and got this and that. But like for a small window of time, you would walk into one of our offices or or our our one office at the one time. And you could walk in and like, there's like a goat being walked through, you know, there's like a dude in a tutu. There's like, you know, backup dancers over here. There's, you know, like dude doing like unicycle tricks. And then then there's an editing suite and then there's writers. And then, um, then the LA times is in there like writing and I mean, there was, it was just one of those small windows where you just look back and you go like, that was cool. That was something that I miss, you know? And, um, and that's something that I think people try and duplicate, but I don't. I don't think you can really. I think it just happened because it happened. We weren't trying to like do that on purpose. When we saw what was happening, we tried to like feed it a little bit, but yeah, it was it was uh, super organic and um, but in the best way, I think. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, for the kind words and for the
1: recollection. I mean, I have so many positive memories. First of all, uh, the company he's talking about to anybody who's listening is Maker Studios, and the channel that he was yeah, talking I'm about so is bad. I'm no, no,
0: I'm so bad. No, no,
1: no. This sorry. is not a this is not a PR plug for a company that's defunct. But <laughs> yeah, it was Maker Studios, and right. the station was the channel. I was actually asking you to go back to talk about how you gave up your Jordanian American tennis career, but but that's neither here <laughs> nor there. You decided to go the Maker direction. Right. But I, um, no, I mean, look, that was a super special time, and I'm grateful to have met you and so many good people, and I think that. There was a there was a period there where like you would walk into Rainbow Acres and like everyone was there. It was like our cafeteria. We were on um, for anyone listening, we were on Washington Boulevard in Culver, or I guess Venice, Culver border. Yeah. And um it was like a really scrappy office. Like it was probably like a class C office space. <laughs> I, I have so many funny memories. There was a memory where we were above a nail salon.
0: Yeah.
1: Was a nail salon and a timeshare. And they were both like <laughs> really, really not so glamorous. And like you'd come into the office and it would smell like a nail salon because the vent would go up into the room that I would sit in. And I, I couldn't stop hearing um, the, the phone calls that the people were making. And it was like a, a timeshare realty place below us. And, and one of the better or worse decisions that I made was like trying to show guys like yourself, you weren't in the room this day. I kind of came in as like one of the first business people and I, but I like wanted everyone to know. I also super interested in creative. And so I prank called the, uh, the place downstairs and it was like one of my most proud prank calls. I was calling the realty place, but the amateur move was that I didn't block the number. And I basically <laughs> called them with the thesis being that like, I wanted to buy as much of their portfolio as they could sell me. And I got these ladies so excited only to have them call us not only realized that the phone number they were calling was above them, but didn't come up because they were so upset that we had like wasted their time. And I was like, yeah. I literally thought I was going to get fired, but you can't get fired from a company. That's like you and your friends like <laughs> messing yeah. around.
0: No. And that trust me, wasn't the worst thing that was happening there at the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, the, the the other thing is like you say, you were like an undercooked 25-year-old. That's uh, You were like the hero because you were one of the big stars. So to hear you consider yourself that, we'll, we'll talk more about like how people think about themselves versus how the world thinks about them. But um, that was the first time that like in a youthful industry that I felt like the older guy. I remember I, I joined Maker when I was engaged and I got married. And I remember there was one time when I went to a Maker party and I was hanging out. And there were like two employees, one talent, one who worked at the company who like hooked up. And I caught him like making out in the corner. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is crazy. Like these kids are hooking up. And I remember one of the other big talent turned to me. He's like, dude, are you an idiot? Like everyone's hooking up with everybody. Like <laughs> yeah. you're just the only like married guy. Like what's wrong with you? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, whenever I watched that, that Lords of Dogtown, the Z boys documentary, you know, it's like right when um the skaters started getting sponsored you know and it was like they were winning all those competitions and it was just that like it was that moment before you know the the drug abuse happened and like everything was cherry everyone was rocking it and uh those that's kind of what i remember you know in that office totally yeah (laughs) and then we had our we had our, and that, that second half of the documentary moment, but it, it, it took a while, you know?
1: Yeah. That's, uh, uh,
0: we're all, all alive. Uh, thank God.
1: Touché. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, there were some, there were some wild times, but, um, but I think a lot of people grew in that process and it's just so funny to like, think about the fact that it feels like yesterday, but it feels like a lifetime ago and that you consider yourself to be undercooked at the time. I mean, It it didn't appear to be the case. But one of the things I was going to say about you, going back to what you said a minute ago, there's sort of like two things that I think you sort of already acknowledged are almost in conflict. And, And I want to ask you about this. You basically talked about consistency being a super important theme for growth on YouTube and probably just as any sort of human or creative. And you talked about it with podcasts now. But then I think that you know one of the things I've always admired about you is you've had like an unwavering expectation or standard for what you were willing to do. So like on my side, when we first met, um, you know, when it would come to brand deals per se, or like opportunities, you would only take the things that you believed in. And that was something that I think served you really well over the course of your career, because you didn't quote sell out. Um, And you were your own like biggest critic. But do you think that like, forget the brand piece, think about the idea of like, The balance between volume like putting out a lot of content and so i guess the idea of consistency versus like perfectionist, you know perfection or the concept of like doing only what you think is cool what's your like take on that
0: you know thank you and yeah it, it it's still something that um i i don't really know how to balance you know there there was um there's this relationship, you know, and this is going to sound like real like up my own ass about like making YouTube videos, but you'll have to um, just bear with me. But like when you, when you do achieve some sort of success online, it doesn't matter if it's on YouTube or, you know, uh, Twitch or, um, you know, Instagram or TikTok or whatever, there's this relationship that you have with the people that are consuming what it is that you're putting out. And the way I always thought about it was you got to serve those people. Um, But you also have to serve yourself. And if you're, and if you're making the stuff that is what you're interested in, they will notice and they will always be on board. But what a lot of creators did was I think just kept trying to feed the beast, you know, and it ended up, you know, especially when you're trying to hit it like a schedule, especially if it's a weekly schedule or multiple times a week, you're going to make a decision where you're, you're going to upload something that you're just not on board with just for the sake of uh, up- uploading it because you said you would and you're afraid. And I never was big on the I don't want to be afraid of the people that I'm entertaining or I don't want to feel like I owe them anything. But where where I did take a little more care was, and you and you know like I I, and I kick myself for but I, I left a lot of money on the table as far as like, brand opportunities just because it didn't feel authentic in the moment, or, you know I always had this idea it's like every time I do a brand branded thing I'm like, trading in a little chip, you know, like a little, a dignity chip, you know, and the audience kind of goes like, all right, Cass is getting paid on this one and, uh, we'll let it go because we've gotten all this stuff, but like, you know, just don't get crazy Cass. And yeah, so there was a lot of, I felt like I had to be part of what my appeal was, was when I did upload something, there was a standard, um, yeah, there's a standard in how I talk to babes at the beach, for sure. Um, but there was a level of, uh, so I was I was okay with that going online because it was gonna be of a certain quality, and I wasn't ever just there. There was a small period. And by the way, like before I hit the man on the street stuff, I was doing a lot of stuff that I like. Just wish I could take back, but you kind of have to in the beginning. You have to. Um, collaborate and do things with other people. You're going to be doing something that you don't necessarily think is super funny, but you know that it's for the good of growing. And so you let a lot of those, you take a lot of those hits. But when I felt like I took enough of those hits, I got very sort of protective over what it was I was doing because I already did that and I didn't want to really keep doing that. And I wanted to cultivate an audience that was a little older. So there was a, there was a, there was kind of a chasm between, the audience I I wanted to have online versus maybe what it was originally, which was, young, it skewed younger in the very beginning. And so I made the decision that I wanted to uh, make co- content for people that were a little older, that something that I would like. And that took a while because you have to shed a lot of the, you know, there's going to be something you upload and they're like, this isn't good. I want to see you do the cinnamon challenge and, you know, and, and just like, I'm not going to do that. And I'm just going to, this is going to be a weird sketch. I'm going to upload And it's like surreal and it's not going to really make any sense. And I want the people that are going to be into that, um, watching it. And for the most part, um, I would categorize a lot of what I did was weird, maybe funny, not funny, but at least interesting. And I would take that all day over just like uploading something that I didn't have because I had to you know, because I said, uh, every Friday, come back. Um, we'll be here. And, uh, that I took a big hit in, um, branding opportunities. I took a big hit in subscriber numbers because I wasn't as consistent. Um, but that was just my path. And it like really all came down to my mental health, you know? And at the time I didn't realize that it. it was probably, um, you know, taking a beating in the way that it was until I had some time away and I was able to kind of observe myself and also observe kind of what was happening with other people that were going through something very similar. And, um, yeah, when you said, you know, we grew up online, we literally did. There was some of the most embarrassing stuff I've done online and then some of the most fulfilling stuff I've done online. And, um, I'm 37 now and like, I still Play around online it's it's uh you know and 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 it's funny because i i just like a couple of weeks ago privated a lot of the stuff i did um because as i get older a lot of the early youtube stuff i just don't identify with or i don't you know my sensibilities have grown i was like in my early to mid 20s when i started doing that stuff I'm in my late thirties now. And like, of course my sensibilities changed and like what I think is funny or what I want to represent myself has changed. And, um, so yeah, that, that's all, that was just me. You know, there's people out there that kick ass every week. They put out quality stuff every week. They, they take brain. I mean, there's, there's, there are few of them, but like, there are people out there that really, really do a great job with, you know, like Rhett and Link, you know, and, and, um, Smosh, they're, they're they're examples of brands that have weathered every storm. They know exactly what their voice is and they've managed to, um, be consistent. And like, when I say consistent, I'm like at least a video a week for the, for the last 12 to 13 years. I mean, that to me is uh, that's inhuman. It's unreal. And, uh, that those are the, those are like the people that I admire online, you know? Um And yeah, and I'm comfortable with my place in it. You know, one of the things that you did
1: that I felt like was pretty pioneering in the space, like your Ask Ask awesome format for anyone listening was basically you responding to, to comments, which I thought was like one of the really admirable formats of paying attention to your fans. And you would also dig yourself a lot. And I don't know, looking back if, if you have any thoughts on whether or not you liked that or didn't like it I mean it was obviously it was not like your hits driven videos but it was a way to sustain and like yeah. really have your audience feel like they're on this journey with you what do you what do you think of when you look back at that format specifically
0: I have a, a, a fondness for those videos um, what really made those videos great and and those videos came about because you know people that were playing the the game correctly had this, the internet YouTube game, they were, they had viewer response videos and, and um, you know, if you wanted to have like a really vibrant and cultivate like an audience that was, you know, f- uh, feverish over what you were making, you got to talk to them. And um, originally, didn't want to do that kind of stuff. Cause I liked kind of, playing into a character and didn't want to, um, didn't want to have to like be quote unquote myself and, and like talk to, you know, uh, anyone, but we had, and it took a little while, but we had come like made this format where it was all shot on green screen. And the real genius behind it all was we had a very talented editor, um, in Dan Flesher and Dan Flesher was like, Uh, a great editor but he was also like um in a, a adobe after effects like photoshop whiz and he essentially animated all this stuff so we would stand on a green screen act out all these like really stupid bits take viewer response questions and he'd spend the next day and a half turning it into like an actual world with like backgrounds and animated backgrounds and and explosions and like, and it was really cool. But since it was mainly on on him, he was the workhorse of it. Um, as soon as that piece, as soon as you, that person gets um, other work or feels like, yeah, that's enough, then that's kind of it, you know? And, and I think we both kind of reached that conclusion together. But I have like the most fond memories of making it because it was every Monday, you know, we'd come in after a weekend and like essentially boot up the studio and play music and like sit there. And, um, and like my crew were my best friends and like everyone around was, we were all happy to see each other. And like, we knew we were kind of doing this very silly thing, but when people talk to me about my, um, the YouTube stuff I used to do, I get so many questions or just like people echoing the like, oh, I, m- I miss Ask Cass and like more so than most of the other stuff I did. It had such a unique look and feel to it. I, I don't think I've seen anything like it since. Um, and yeah, I, I loved doing it at the time. I was, I was kind of like, I felt like it was. I felt like it was a little bit like I was told I should be making this kind of thing. So it made me want to do it less because I have that issue uh, with myself. But uh, we did it for, you know, two years straight, maybe um, a little more than that. And it was uh, uh, a really, solid, most episodes were, and every, you know, one out of every five, I'd say was like a complete dud, but even the duds were, still kind of funny. You know, you could tell we're like Dan or me, just what we just weren't feeling it. And we're like, Oh dude, like I gotta, <laughs> I mean, I was on the screen screen. I got to pretend like what's happening. Like, you know, it's, it was just, it was such a weird abstract, uh, moment, you know, in time that we did. And, and, and it also just seems so weird to just talk about it in the podcast and like a, a retrospective sort of like, you know, inside the actor studio, uh, dialogue about it. But um, yeah, I I really do think of it fondly. And um, I did private those videos, but I'm going through them. And I'll be putting them, you know, back online as more of like a time capsule, uh, if anything else, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. And
1: you already acknowledged this, but that was really a format where you showed the real you there was no character. I mean, there was, you know, the hyperbole of like making it funny with the green screen. But in general, it was just such a genuine format that I think honored your audience and I felt like yeah. it was so, so indicative of like that special time at maker. Cause you know, I, I picture like John Na and like the whole crew that was involved and like, it was such a good group of people who like really channeled creativity from each other. And that's, that's a great
0: point. You know, it it was, it was fun in the fact that, cause we had the, the crew and, and, you know, even my cameraman was a personality on it. Uh, and we had so much fun working together that we took that sort of like the crew vibe and tried to do other things with it. Like we went on road trips, you know, like Bigfoot hunting and ghost Mm -hmm. hunting. And we did those all because of what we learned on Ask Chasm, which is we're goofing around so much, but we're having fun and people see that and they get attached to the characters and like they, they will watch a video and go, no one would ever see it and go, those guys just met, you know, like we all have such a, we had a great chemistry and, um, if anything, that was the best part of doing that chasm. Yeah,
1: kind of bringing people to the present day. I mean, you always had such a long run on YouTube, and you've adopted to now pretty, you know, pretty pretty focused. It seems on podcasts. I mean, you have a fantastic podcast with Jamie and Rob called Pajama Pants. It seems like you guys are having a lot of fun at that. D- does podcasting remind you in some ways of the early days of YouTube, in the sense that it's just another now medium for creativity? or is it totally different? Like, do you, do you have any parallels between the two or do you just see it as a totally new thing? Uh,
0: there are parallels, you know, there, there's, um, it's a, it, what's similar about it is that there's a group of people working towards a goal, which is growing a thing on a weekly basis. And it's week to week on how it goes, you know? Um, the The podcast has been, absolutely fantastic and it's really cool to uh grow friendships publicly you know i me and rob so i do it with rob robert eiler and jamie lynn sigler and they were um aj and meadow soprano on on the sopranos and uh i knew rob because i met him on a pilot years ago and we we became fast friends but i didn't meet jamie until episode one of the podcast and, and we had texted a little bit before, but we really didn't get to know each other until we sat down at a table together. And that's interesting to me. And that's like, cool. Um And I think, you know, a year in, you can really see the difference um, in the relationships and like how we communicate. Cause you know, in the beginning, there's just a, there's a lot of awkwardness. You don't really know, like, where somebody's sensibilities are, like where they're, you know, bordered, like, or boundaries, and 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 so you're kind of playing it safe. And um, so as the show goes on, and we're in our second year, uh, you, I think, see, like a a, a much thicker relate, like a dynamic that's that's there that wasn't necessarily there in the beginning. But we wouldn't have got here if it wasn't for the beginning. And and so, um, yeah, growing something. Well, without the the interest on making it super successful right at first is kind of how YouTube started. We made YouTube videos mostly just for fun in the very beginning. It then became you know a thing where we were we turned into a business. but um right now, I think what attracts me to the podcast is um, that part of it is the the interpersonal relationship that I have with the people I do the podcast with and with, with the people that listen, um, we have, you know, uh, people that are into it, which is great. Like I, I didn't know it was, it's just cool. It, it really is. And it's, and it's so, um, we just started from zero with like no help. We we didn't sign with a big podcast network. We didn't, you know, do that thing where you go on like a billion podcasts to promote it. We're just kind of just very much staying in our lane and, um, enjoying it. And I enjoy it like every week more and more, which is great.
1: That's awesome. Going going back to the sort of process of starting. So much of this podcast is, is designed to have people find inspiration as far as pursuing things that they want to do. And creativity is obviously one of them that usually rises high to the top of the list. And I don't know what my I'd, I'd rather channel my advice through through people like you and just say, what would you say to someone who wants to get started in putting out content or doing something with their personal brand on any medium, knowing that the beginning might be kind of like those early days of going to comedy clubs that were half full and feeling like, is anybody there? Why am I doing this?
0: Totally. Um, I, am a, I am notoriously, I, I get hung up on... Um, not acting, right? I I will have a great idea and I will find every way to talk myself out of a great idea. And I know people that are listening. There's a lot of you out there and know that I am one of those people. I will think an idea to death before it even has a moment to survive. And the thing that I am just now learning is that it's okay to be not as great as you want to be but it's more important to just do something and start because when you start something, um, it, it'll, it'll evolve and get better and change naturally. Um, if you're coming out the gate and you really are a perfectionist and you really want it to look and feel a certain way, you can control a certain amount of that. But after a while you'll have, I mean, if, if you guys have been trying to specifically, if we're talking about a podcast, there are, Hours of me sitting and talking that are just audio files on my computer that have never been uploaded or seen the light of day because I listen to it and I go that's stupid or like that's no one's gonna want to listen to that or that's you, you you didn't cover the right stuff. There's so much of that. The the times that I've been most fulfilled are are the moments where I took a chance and I wasn't afraid to be bad or embarrassed by something. And that has to happen. You have to, you will be embarrassed. You will be bad at something that you've never done before. Every, But you know, it's the best time to do it because everyone is doing it. Everyone collectively in the beginning is kind of bad together. So the more reps you get in, the quicker you get out in front of, you know, and and um, yeah, I just say, just don't be, just know that it's it's probably gonna suck for a while. But you have to trudge through that, you know, even, even when you hear somebody's first pod and you go, oh, that's great. I guarantee you to that person, there's a million things wrong with it. There's a billion reasons why they shouldn't have uploaded it, but they did anyways. And that, that to me, taking that first step opens the doors, like unlocks something in your head and it, it allows more creativity pour through instead of this like dam that you've built of all these different reasons why it won't be successful.
1: Yeah, I think that also people are their own worst critics. And when I look back, and and I'll ask you point blank. I mean, you mentioned privating videos that you, you know, on one end, if you don't agree with the way you were talking in the video, that's one thing. But if there's a video that you were ever embarrassed by, and I don't know if you said that, um, as as a person who's not only a friend of you but a fan of you, I would say it's always like funny that your your worst video in your mind, I could watch and say like, yeah, okay, fine. Can you cite a time, and I'm not saying embarrassment is not warranted for anybody, but can you cite a time in your own career where your thoughts of something that embarrassed you, hypothetically or actually, actually even meant anything, like that there were any like repercussions or any like real element of embarrassment?
0: Not as much as I thought they would, you know. Um, you 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 always, like you just said, are your biggest critic, and and nothing anyone's ever said to me has been as bad as like the nightmare scenario in my own mind, you know, um, of course there's stuff that happened, you know, and then you go, yeah, like that person's right. Or like, you know, um, but you know, that's a great point. It it really never is as bad as you think it's going to be. Um, unless you do something just awful, but, uh, I'm assuming most people aren't, um, but, uh, you know, if you go to YouTube right now, there's a lot of awful stuff, but there's also a lot of great stuff, too. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I think there's what I think about now is which is funny is like I want to have kids. And when I have when my kids say I have one in the next couple, three years and then in 10 years, that kid's going to be seven or eight and they're going to be old enough to where they're able to operate you know like a phone and a tablet and they'll be able to like Jamie's son Jack who just turned 3 just he knows how to like go to the search bar on YouTube and then use the voice feature and then talk into the search and then like so he can search it and and I'm worried about what I am gonna, what sort of like uh impression I would leave as like a dad you know and it's so stupid because that's one person in a sea of like, who, however many that would be interested in it. But I, uh, I still want to do things that are funny. I just want to do things that, um, I would be proud to show someone that knew me, you know,
1: I think that's really admirable. And it's, uh, you know, being a dad, that sentiment totally resonates with me. You know, it's funny with, with your content, not to be like over analytical, but I always felt like fundamentally, you're a good person. And even if you did things that were edgy per se, that it was never really at the expense of someone else. I mean, you would, you would, you would go far, like meaning on going deep or even on, you know, California on like you would have some lines that, that could be deemed as offensive to the um, to the recipient, but at the same time, like they knew you. And I think that when the camera turned off the way that you are as a human, let them know that it was truly just humor. So I think that like contextually, your, your brand online, anybody who knows it knows it's great. Like, I mean, I think it's, that's the hardest part and I'm, I'm not trying to like overthink what you said here. Yeah. How do you define what line you consider to be like your brand ethics when it comes to what content you're putting out?
0: You know, that line changes, uh, you know, every, every year I get older. Um, it's, it recedes, you know, much like my hairline, I I am less willing to push a boundary for a sake of a laugh. And I would rather try and find something more interesting or like, you know, there's like, the way I think about it is there's um, a lot of like, when you're talking to somebody, especially if it's man on the street, somebody says something, and then you have like, a choice of replies to that person, right? There's the front door reply, which is a lot of, a lot of people will just do the front door reply, you know, like, Oh, that's crazy. And then there's like the back door reply, which is something that's like, Ooh, that's a little edgy. And like, I I wasn't necessarily expecting that. Um, and then there's where I would like to live and I don't know how often I get there, but I'd like to be a side door or even like, you know, basement door reply, you know, which is just more clever, doesn't necessarily have to offend anyone or be shocking. And those moments are much harder to capture because timing is a huge part of it. But um, I don't want to live in a world where I feel like I'm making somebody uncomfortable for the sake of, um, you know, views or anything like that. Um, I've done that enough. And I've been very lucky because they're, you know, for the most part, it's all been pretty tame stuff and um, or uh, people have sort of come to expect that. And so everyone's been, I, I have maybe one or two people out of the thousands I've talked to may have had a real issue and then we still worked it out, you know? And if somebody ever sent me a message and was like, hey, you put this video up and I'm like, I'm not cool with it. I was always very cool to be like, no problem. I'll private it or re-edit it or do something. So, um, I am interested in those sort of side door replies more, you know, um, as I get older and I might just, you know, it might mean that a man on the streets, not necessarily the, the path for that, you know, it might, it might be, it take a different format and, um, you know, I've, I've become very comfortable with like hosting stuff, which is, gives me that sort of like, well, you can get, my personality out without having to, um, will still have it like centered around a, an actual subject as opposed to kind of just being on the street, talking with somebody and trying to make a moment funny, you
1: know? Yep. So I'm going to do some rapid fire questions. Fondest memory of a video that you've been a part of,
0: you know, there was a, a, a video that we did, which I mentioned earlier, but we did like an hour long ghost hunt video and, uh, we we investigated this place called Preston castle and it was me and my crew and like among the crew was my my brother and all my friends and there was a moment where um my brother and John my camera they got so scared uh and and they, they like they they freaked themselves out because we were in, it was like pitch black it was like you know 2 a.m 3 a.m where is this place it's in Northern California somewhere I forget the city but yeah um, we, uh, psyched each other out so much. I just remember here, I was like upstairs and I just remember hearing like a thud and like screaming, you know? And, and when we watched the, the footage back, it was like, my brother had fallen. He, he had this sort of little device that supposedly like ghosts sending you words and messages. And, and, and it was like, He read it, he like fell, he tripped and then he read it and it was like, get out or something. And he just ran and and one person scares another person. And it was just, it was one of the hardest of, you know, like laughed. And it was a culmination of like a really long week. And, um, you know, you're there with your buddies and it was, it was just like exactly what I set out to do, you know, when we left, it was really fun.
1: Classic. What year was this roughly? Like, is this, this was towards the end, right?
0: 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's still up on my YouTube channel. Um, and we did a Bigfoot one too, and it was very similar. We had anytime we can remove ourselves from the normal, you know, the studio or, you know, Venice and, and go do something where we're kind of all forced to cram into a vehicle together and just be around each other all day. Uh, we get annoyed and, 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 but we also have the best time too. Yep.
1: Next question is you wouldn't believe this happened and it could be any experience in your life or when you're shooting something.
0: There was that same, that same, uh, video. And in that week I had, we were shooting a ghost thing, but I had a like what I thought was a real ghost encounter that didn't make it into, uh, the video. It just happened while I was asleep and just like the long and short of it was, and I've said this on, on other pods before, but, um, Essentially, we got to do an overnight stay on this aircraft carrier, um, and they had all these ghost hunting teams come spend the night. And during the day, it was like a ghost hunting convention. It was, it was bonkers. But uh, at night, you spend the night where like the crew used to sleep in the barracks. And in the middle of the night, after filming all day, where I, I, I just crash into a bunk, just kind of like fall asleep, and at 3 a.m. I had like the weirdest, like cold static electricity just all over, and my body's being lifted, like the center of my stomach's being lifted up, and then my my sleeping bag was being unzipped all at the same time, and I was like screaming. I was like trying to scream out, "Help me!" But nobody nobody came to my aid. That we had been drinking that night, uh, so we've. I haven't put too much sort of like, yeah, it was definitely a ghost hunt, but I've also never, I used to drink all the time. I, I've never had that happen, those feelings. And, you know, so it was uh it was a really weird night. And I talked to like one of the people that worked there the next day, they were like, oh yeah, we've had that happen a ton of times. But there's a supposedly a ghost down there that's like, if you sleep in the wrong bunk, he like tries to take you out of it. And uh, so I was, I was just, you know, it's just one of those things where, I like to think I'm open minded to that stuff, but I'm not. I'm not sort of uh, foo foo into it, and um, a, a huge believer. But something weird happened, um, and it just so happened while we're making this sort of like parody ghost hunting video, you know. So I don't know. Maybe wow, I just was <laughs> drinking. Who knows? <laughs> so, best advice you've
1: received, and if there's somebody you want to credit for it, go for that.
0: You know I, I I don't know who said this to me but somebody said not everyone's going to love you. It's important especially if you're trying to do something online or creative. Not everyone is going to be your biggest fan. You can only you can't control other people's feelings. You can only control what you put out there and how you react to people, but it's such a solid piece because sometimes you think um You know, you get in your own head about things and you go, oh, why wouldn't everyone like me, you know? And that's just not, that's just not how that works. Uh, And it helps you sleep better at night, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like
1: as you give advice to other people that, that that's a big hindrance for people is feeling like they need to do something that appeals to everyone. And then if they get that little bit of negative feedback, that it kind of like stifles them from progressing.
0: Absolutely one of the, the worst parts and best parts about being online is you get that instant feedback. And, um, you know, for the most part, I've had a lot of positive, but there's also been negative. And like, you'll remember the negative far longer than you will with the positive and that negative will eat, eat at you until you, you give it, you know, all your power. And so don't, don't try and make, you know, content that you want everyone to love. Cause that probably won't be that interesting and it just won't happen If you just show interest in something it's like a good documentary like a good documentary will take a subject i have no interest or idea about and it'll make me interested in it because of the things i didn't know that i came to know and so i think if you take that same approach with creating whether it be podcasts or merch or just you know videos that that's the best thing you could probably you know keep in mind when you're starting definitely book recommendation i'm not a huge book guy. I'm a comic book guy. And um, so I'll give you two. I'm reading Dune right now, um, which is great sci-fi. And uh, there's a movie coming out by Denny Villeneuve. Um, But also um, as far as graphic novels or or comic books go, I just finished Paper Girls, which is is, it's by um, Brian K. Vaughn. And it's uh, about four Paper Girls. And it's like a Stranger Things-esque but I'd say probably better time travel sort of thing, and it's really great you know cyberpunk the genre is kind of up and out in the mainstream right now, so um trans is is probably my favorite piece of cyberpunk um fiction, and that's one of my favorite comic books uh out there and i I, I highly recommend that if you're if you're into comics and stuff cool movies or movie <laughs> you know I'll just tell you the one I just most recently watched um which I really enjoyed uh, and we were just talking about documentaries that that really, um, like we had no idea we would enjoy, it's called Some Kind of Heaven and it's about a retirement village in Florida. Um, and it's, it's a really fun slice of life uh, doc about this retirement community and it's produced by Darren Aronofsky and it's uh, really well done and it's beautifully shot and um, you you have all kinds of feelings when you see the the sort of the main characters that they follow in it, and, and, and uh, you know it it just came out I think a couple three weeks ago. Highly worth a rent. Awesome. What should people listen to music podcasts aside from
1: Pajama Pants, which I have to plug again, which is great. Besides
0: Pajama Pants, um, you know, music is is so funny. I the, what I'm listening to at the moment. Um, there's like a, a local natives and Sharon Van Etten, sort of like collab that they did i forget the name of it but it's on like a an ep they call sour lemon and i, I really like local natives and uh um i uh i just think it's like real easy to listen to and it's kind of sweepy and you could tap your foot to it um and i'm a big i love sharon van etten and uh so i you know it was great that they both kind of collabed on a song and it, it's really great i like it very cool and then California
1: curation for those who live here or come here, any uh, random places, restaurants, places to check out that are obscure that you recommend?
0: You know, what's such a bummer, dude. My favorite Italian restaurant closed. It was down on the end of Washington. There's called Casa auto. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it was like, you know, you you'd walk in all the waiters are like, there's so, all, everyone's speaking Italian and the food was really good. And I think they just got hit with the pant, the panty hit them hard. And, um, That's kind of a bummer. So I'm I'm trying to find a replacement uh, restaurant um, that serves up the same quality pasta. As far as places go, um, you know, I grew up in Southern California, but I did a lot of like off roading as a kid. So like, I think of like Pismo and places like Glamis, but I don't think I would go to play like somewhere like Glamis or Octio Wells like now uh, unless like you you have like a flat bill hat and. Black socks and, uh, but you know now I go to places like Ojai, you know, like the Ojai Valley, and I I love to just, I love to bouge out for a weekend, you know, just in front of the pool, you know, that's or Palm Springs, you know, those are places I. I
1: what a a transition we've we've gone? What a way to end. I don't want to end on bougie cast. Um, (laughs) So I was going to end there, but I'll say this: Let's. Let's just end by shouting out anything that you're doing, any parting words of advice for people, and then any shout outs to anyone who's sort of inspired you along the way. I know there's a lot there. My point is you've done a lot. A lot of people have been in your circle. Any any sort of parting thoughts for the world?
0: I appreciate anyone that's watched anything I've ever done and um, kind of stuck with me because I'm like I've mentioned, I've just been so inconsistent. Um, nothing but appreciation for anyone that's just put up, put up with me over the last few years and and seeing me go from like an undercooked guy who loved to drink and smoke weed to like a maybe semi-cooked sober dude in his late thirties. So yeah, I, I appreciate it. And yeah. I appreciate you having me on and, and helping me uh, with a multitude of things over the years and, and being so cool. And um, like I said, you're one of those few people, I think that I've gotten to meet along the way. and And when you meet, good people. You, you just got to keep them close and, and uh, you know, they're only there to enrich your life. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you even me asking and wearing the shirt and asking me to come on your, your pod All <laughs> All right, the love is reciprocated buddy.
1: Yes. I love it. Well, much love back to you. And, and I share the same sentiment you're a gift to the world and a great human. And you've uh, you've definitely graced a lot of people with your character and humor and, you know, good nature. It's, uh, it's awesome that you acknowledge those who have stayed with you because I think that when people see someone that they're a fan of, aside from, um, their friends, the fans will want to be there too. So you've always given back to them. So keep doing that and uh, tell people where they can find you.
0: Yeah. Uh, thanks for that, by the way. Uh, That's really nice. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and our uh, podcast is called pajama pants and we're on YouTube and Instagram as well. What are your personal handles? uh Cassim on twitter um Cassim backwards on instagram and youtube Cassim
1: very cool well thanks for your time today always a pleasure man and thanks, man. uh everybody go tune into pajama pants you'll like it and we'll someday i can i can get to their level hopefully <laughs> yeah
0: thanks again and thanks everyone for listening
1: cheers man see you soon
0: see you buddy what an absolute legend Cassim g is i hope you all enjoyed that check him
1: out at g messick on instagram at Cassim g on twitter watch his shows on g4 tune in to the pajama pants podcast which is fantastic big inspiration for this podcast shout out to rob and jamie I can't get enough of Kasim's great content. May he always continue to put out new stuff for all of us to enjoy. You can find me on social at Pelosi, at Shared Ingredients on Instagram. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, do whatever you can do to pass the good word about this. I really appreciate your support. May we all hope that a t-shirt this rad comes out again someday. Kasim you're the best. Thank you for all the laughs and inspiration. See you next time.